The University of Central Missouri is an institution like no other. From its roots as a progressive teacher's college founded after one of the most tragic periods in our nation's history to today, where it is an internationally recognized university with over 12,000 students studying over 100 majors. In a world that is ever-changing, the University of Central Missouri has produced the students who change it. The University of Central Missouri provides students from across the globe, not just an education, but a sense of community service and purpose. Join us as we explore that journey through the tragedies of war, the triumphs of peace, and the ultimate goal of education for service. This is the history of the University of Central Missouri. The daunting shadow of the war in Europe, which would become known first as the Great War, then World War I, loomed over the country and the university. Ashley McGuffey, author, University of Central Missouri, 150 years of education for service. Uh, during World War I, the federal government uh, gave out a list to all universities and schools across the country of government-sanctioned war activities that they could participate in. And that included having a Red Cross nursing unit and an ambulance corps and an SATC unit, which was the precursor to ROTC. And we had all of those things. Um, President Hendricks at the time was very firmly entrenched in the Warhawks <laughs> faction on campus. So they were very, very in support of the war itself. Um, and so he, any, any activity that we could have done as a school, we did. <laughs> Dr. John Taylor, professor of history, University of Central Missouri. The Great War on campus uh, was, was certainly a challenge. Uh, there were some uh, women who actually uh, decided to go home and not just to go home, uh, but to go home and farm because there was a critical labor shortage. Uh, some of their family members, maybe their father or maybe their brothers had uh, enlisted to go serve, uh, which left that whole family farm without individuals to, to run it. And there are several instances of where uh, women students are, are leaving with the blessing of President Hendricks uh, to go work on the farm. And apparently they were able to work out some arrangement where they received credit uh, for this work that they were doing for, for the war effort. Bruce Euler, UCM graduate and Johnson County, Missouri historian. Well, of course we had, in World War II, we had V-12 here, but in World War I, we had a lot of students that ended up in World War I, um, got shipped overseas to France. And in the town, of course, we have a, a building called the Old Mule Barn, uh, which we grew up knowing as Cassingham's, but it was actually the Jones Mule Barn. And Warrensburg shipped a lot of mules, I mean, thousands of mules to France uh, in World War I. And not until after the war in 1922 was it decided that we would actually name the team mascots uh, here to be the mules. Until that time, we were just the normals which is not a very exciting name for an athletic team and didn't strike fear. But the mule was such an important part of Missouri's history, uh, Warrensburg's history, and of course the school now. Of the many wartime activities, one of the most notable was that of a women's literary circle 
which sewed a service flag to hang in the administration building. Uh, we had a number of students and faculty serve in World War I. Uh, so we had an Warrensburg had an ambulance corps and they did see action in France. We had, or Warrensburg had uh, students serve uh, and make the ultimate sacrifice as well. And what happened, what, what the school did to honor them was a service flag was made by one of the uh, literacy groups on campus. And it, um, a star, a blue star was added for every student or faculty that served and that star was changed out for a gray star if they were injured, um, but then it was changed to a gold star, uh, for the gold star, uh, if, if they did make the ultimate sacrifice over there. So that was one way that they were honored. Um, there is a plaque that had been part of uh, the administration building, uh, but is now in the Memorial Chapel and it was placed in honor of those that served and sacrificed in World War I as well. Uh, the memorial organ was in honor uh, to those also. That is actually being restored or will be soon. So there were, there were a number of ways that they were honored. The triumph of the United States in the Great War was rivaled by a smaller triumph on campus. In 1919, the Missouri General Assembly granted Warrensburg Normal No. 2 the status of a four-year college, the culmination of years of hard work and student success that had been long fought for and finally won. With this accomplishment came the first name change to the institution. Warrensburg Normal No. 2 would now be known as Central Missouri State Teachers College. The first name change of the institution uh, sounded a lot better than Missouri Normal Number Two School. Uh, we warned it changed to uh, Central Missouri State Teachers College (CMSTC), and it was huge. The road to the name change began in 1916. Normal School applied for admission uh, to the North Central Association of Colleges and Secondary Schools as a full four-year institution. So this is a stepping stone uh, to the recognition as the teacher's college that comes. The committee granted the request. Uh, admission was based on the modern buildings, the library holdings, the lab facilities, and um, for the most part there. The faculty also had advanced degrees. One of the things that did happen under Hendricks is that uh, he would allow the faculty to um, take time off to go work on advanced degrees. Uh, and all of that was focused on this kind of being recognized. So you have the buildings, the faculty, adding more faculty, but not only that, making sure that those faculty had the, the, the best training possible. Uh, so th those were important, critical things. 1919 was even more of a rapturous year for Central Missouri State Teachers College with the passage of the 19th Amendment granting women the right to vote. The on-campus suffrage movement led by Laura Yater, Laura Runyon, and Lucy Ball held lectures, organized parades, and made the Johnson County League of Women Voters one of the most formidable in the state. 
Dr. Sarah Brooks Sundberg, Professor of History, University of Central Missouri. Historians debate whether the 19th Amendment changed anything politically because it took so long for any kind of a woman's vote to actually appear. They sort of assumed for a long time that the 19th Amendment was not didn't make real changes. That's starting to be revised now in the overall literature um, and, and a more of a recognition that um, like anything else, you know, women had not been accustomed to voting. You know, they weren't allowed to vote, so they, they didn't have that tradition that we think of now as voting. And uh, it took a while for that to get into place. And so I'm assuming, you know, for many of these um, uh, young women who, you know, hadn't observed their mothers voting, um, uh, that it's going to take time for them to actually, you know, absorb uh, the vote too. Although, um, you know, I, I really do think that um, uh, the message that was coming through the faculty was a strong one, that they should be involved and, and vote. In 1921, the institution celebrated 50 years of student success. The college, still celebrating the newfound status as a four-year school, marked this occasion with celebrations including a parade. Beginning at the stone pillars that marked the cornerstone of Old Main, Pauline Humphrey led on horseback nearly four dozen floats, multiple bands, and a small army of alumni through the streets of town. In 1922, the school held a contest to name the new mascot. Suggestions of bobcats, skunks, and even hippopotamuses were made, but a student named John Thomason suggested the winning choice, the mule, stating that at least one Missouri team needed to be named after a Missouri mule. After the choice was made, President Hendricks warned other teams that they would learn just how hard a mule can kick. We were the Warrensburg Normals beforehand, and that really just isn't a scary name. <laughs> uh, and when we changed to CMSTC instead of Warrensburg Normal, uh, the school really wanted a better sounding mascot in general, and Normals just didn't fit anymore because that wasn't in the name. Uh, so there was a competition and anyone could write in entries and the winner was going to win a full like life subscription to the student newspaper. And uh, the winning entry was the mules because the, uh, the, um, the, the student who uh, proposed that, John Thomason, said that it would be a shame if no school in Missouri had the Missouri mule as their as their mascot, so that was, uh, that was why we became the Mules. The Roaring Twenties brought a level of stability and growth to campus with the purchase of 19 acres on the west of the existing school. This included the historic estate of the Nickerson family called Selmo Park. And of course, we had uh, Major Nickerson's farm. He was the person, of course, that donated the, the quadrangle area, about 20 acres to the campus. And that was part of the bid against Sedalia for us to get the university. And Major Nickerson, of course, uh, owned Selmo Park, which he named actually for one of his former slaves who became a free woman at the end of the Civil War. 
but during the Civil War, Major Nickerson was actually incarcerated as a, as a Confederate sympathizer. He was incarcerated in St. Louis. And when you were in prison during the Civil War, at least in this part of the country, you were not given meals. Someone from your family would have to come in and, and feed you. And, and Selma was actually, was her name that had been his, his slave at this point and then became a free woman. And after the Civil War, he named his estate Selma Park in her behalf for all the, the great care that she gave to him. The school during, during the Roaring Twenties, um, that was a really good time for us. Uh, Hendrix had really brought the school back into this kind of golden age, uh, despite having uh, inherited a skeletal campus from Hawkins, unfortunately, because of the fire. He, he, there were more programs that were added. He got more sports added to the roster. It really was kind of a renaissance for the school. Um, we just we received collegiate status. Uh, it was it was a really good time. Um, the Great Depression really, really like did a number on us. But before that, the Roaring Twenties was a really good time on campus. The Great Depression had a significant impact on the world, and that impact was acutely felt by the institution. For the entire decade, the school faced perilous times regarding its budget and very existence. The state's budget during this time was so low that schools began appearing on the chopping block, Central included, dangling precariously on the brink of disaster for the entirety of the Depression. President Hendricks and the Board of Regents rallied the school and ensured its survival despite the gut-wrenching decisions that went along with it. The Great Depression impacted campus really negatively. Um, we'd already suffered budget cuts, but this this was a whole new level of budget cuts. And on top of that, 19 schools, both collegiate and normal schools, were put on the chopping block in Missouri. And for the entire Great Depression, really, Warrensburg was on that chopping block. And so the faculty all had to take a pay cut. Uh, tuition went up, but then it also corresponded with a time where students in general just couldn't afford tuition. So there were less students. And then the students that were coming had to face, you know, a higher spike in tuition for a little bit. And it was just, it was a really bad time. And if there was a, any time that we were ever going to fail, it was going to be that time. This time also saw a change in leadership as President Hendricks resigned in 1937 due to ill health, which had plagued him since 1930. Succeeding him would be George Willis Deemer, the first and only Central graduate to become the president of the university. President Deemer was amazing. Um, he came in during a really hard time still. Uh, President Hendricks got sick and so he had to he had to leave for his own health and then Deemer came in and was exactly what the school needed during that time. He continued to lead the school through the Great Depression. Um, you know there were still budget cuts, there were still faculty cuts, but he was able to not cut as many faculty as they were worried about and we were like the school was still able to lead a certain level of normalcy um, as when we were in a better time as opposed to the Great Depression. Early in his tenure, Deemer oversaw a major reorganization of the administration that would be the first incorporation of the modern approach to education with areas dedicated to student life, public relations, and library services. 
A major accomplishment came in 1939 with the completion of a separate library named after the long-serving librarian Ward Edwards, who tragically passed away a year prior, never seeing his dream completed. Uh, the first separate library on campus was really a feat for the university. We, uh, this, it had been a part, the library had been a part of, of the school since its very founding. However, a separate library building itself hadn't been until, until Deemer came along and really helped create a bigger movement and a bigger support behind that. Um, and another man that was behind that was the librarian at the time, Ward Edwards. So uh, Deemer and, and Ward Edwards really led that movement and really, really helped to get everybody on board with it and helped them understand why a separate library building would be best so that in the event there was another fire, we maybe didn't lose our entire collection of library books again. Um, and the library as it is now is actually bigger. It was um, expanded a bit in the 1960s, but in, or the later 40s and 60s, but what it, what it was then uh, was the um, part facing Dockery and it had a grand staircase, like picture the Titanic staircase, and it had one of those, and it was just all beautiful wood, and it's been gutted completely during its expansion, but it, at the time, it was just it was so beautiful. The beginning of the 40s saw some major accomplishments at the college. In 1941, the first residence hall opened on campus. Prior to this, students stayed with members of the local community or at boarding houses. The new dorm, named for the Latin instructor, Laura J. Yader, became the first of many student residence halls on campus. The first dorm on campus was Yader Hall. It was opened in 1941. It was named Yader Hall because the <laughs> large support behind it was Laura Yader herself, um, and it was named in her honor when it opened and then later when she passed away, she actually willed all of her household furnishing to, to the building itself too. Um, students only lived in it for one year because then during World War II, we had a Navy V-12 uh, officers program on campus and that's where they were housed. So um, the, the matron of it, she really had to work hard to get her, you know, her girls is what she called them, it was a female dormitory she had to get them housed in places around town and she really wanted to make sure that they were going to be safe where they were being housed so she would go personally with them <laughs> so it's it's kind of unfortunate that it was it was opened and then they only lived there for one year this year also saw another solemn occasion as the last football season would be played for several years the attack on pearl harbor on december 7 1941 would change the world. Students listened to Franklin Roosevelt's infamy speech, and young men left campus in droves to enlist in the military. By 1943, the campus dwindled to only 275 students. Over 2,000 male students and alumni would join the armed forces. Many, including President Deemer's son, would make the ultimate sacrifice. The remaining students did their part by participating in scrap metal drives as well as buying and selling war bonds. World War II impacted campus uh, much in the same way that it impacted the 
the rest of the country with the begin like with Pearl Harbor, there were students actually listening on radios all across campus um, to to the events of of that, and there was just this shock and awe and just horror that we'd been attacked and that we were now going to war. But then as soon as like we got into the war efforts, there was just so much support behind that. We had a metal, like a scrap metal drive on campus. There was a, a civilian pilot training course to kind of replace the number of trained pilots that were going into the military. Warrensburg had the uh, Navy V-12 officers training unit on campus as well. Um, we, uh, their Deemer also invited and housed uh, Austrian Jewish refugees on campus and they got a good education while living here. And uh, thankfully they were actually all reunited with their families later. Um, but there, there, there was a lot of the similar uh, problems that we'd faced in World War One. So a, another service flag was sewn uh, and when uh, when the war was won and our faculty and alumni and students were starting to come home, there was a grand parade planned to celebrate the victory. The conclusion of the Second World War saw an explosive growth of students coming to campus. A post-war planning committee was formed to further develop the school. What did come from World War II is several of the programs that we still have on campus. So the, the pilot's training unit actually turned into the aviation unit on campus. Uh, the SATC unit that had been in World War I, and then we kind of had something similar in World War II, but really that was greatly overshadowed by the Navy V-12 unit, um, turned, eventually was turned into the ROTC unit that we still have today. And we really have a strong veteran presence on the university, thanks, uh, thanks in part to the support that the university has always had for its veteran student alumni and faculty. Campus directly after the war was um, actually kind of quiet. Uh, you know, um, it there was a resurgence of especially the Greek life on, on campus and football came back, um, but it really was just kind of everyone getting back into the groove of things um after like the total warfare effect of world war ii and so everyone was just coming back into like their being and it was just it was a really good time deemer actually himself was very involved with unesco at the time and so he was jet setting to help bring educational opportunities back to these war-torn countries in like europe and asia and everything and so he was uh, a big proponent in getting the international program here as well so that, that comes, that's part of his legacy. The college celebrated its diamond jubilee, raising the spirits of an institution which had seen a depression and a second world war. Over 70,000 students had passed through the college and it was experiencing tremendous enrollment with more courses being offered than ever. The university's primary focus was still education, but now it offered so much more. To recognize this growth and success, the Missouri General Assembly approved changing the name to the Central Missouri State College. <laughs>